Halloween is nigh, and with it comes the sequel to the greatest 80s horror movie documentary of all time, In Search of Darkness Part 2. Come with us as we explore a world of horror with unheard stories and extra ooze. But it's more than a documentary, it's the Lupin Larry Halloween Geekitacular! In a world filled with intergalactic space battles, meta-human destruction on a global scale, and psychopathic serial hauntings, there's only one team who can make sense of it all. When your world is overrun with rampant pop culture, call Luminary Guardians of Geek! All right, here we are, Loop and Larry, Guardians of Geek, our, what is this called, Larry, our Halloween? This is the Halloween Geek-tacular. <laughs> this is our first ever. It is, the first ever. <laughs> and this is the most special Geek-tacular we've ever had. That's because right. we have a very special guest for That's the third right. time. Yeah, it's our third time. So we thought, we want to talk about 80s uh, horror movies because they're the things that really influenced us. And uh, you can't go Halloween without talking about horror movies, for sure. And so we got the expert, the one person we know for sure, and he's got an exciting new project as well. David Weiner's here. David, how's it going? Happy to be back, Wilhelm Scream or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David's, David's coming to us directly from uh, California. Uh, That's right, today. Los Angeles, California. Perfect. What's the weather like? It's always the same. <laughs> 72 degrees and sunny. <laughs> Let's see, is there a fire outside? It's not fire day. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> because it's, it, it, it's Monday. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the fire take, well, fire works on Monday. I think it takes the weekend off. I don't know. Right. <laughs> our, our brave firefighters are working overtime because the half the state's ablaze. So not yeah. to make too light of it, but it's, uh, it's, it's been pretty smoky as of late. Yeah. Like it's pretty foggy looking, or is it like can you visibly see it on a regular? Uh, these days, actually, it's quite good. But uh, several weeks ago, it was so bad that there were day there was like a, a week stretch where you weren't even really supposed to go out because oh, wow. you could wow. smell the smoke. Even though in Los Angeles, it was miles away, it was it permeated you know half of the state. It was pretty intense. Oh, wow. And on top of everything else now you have to deal with not going outside because of smoke <laughs> yeah other than other than that mrs lincoln how was the play you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. could 2020 get any better <laughs> yeah. it's a classic that's for sure yeah i just really made it a downer when you asked how's the weather so yes. anyway. <laughs> that's all right it's all right gotta get it out there it's, it's wah, gotta be real wah, right wah, wah. <laughs> well, we'll bring the mood right back up with a lot of gore and a lot of slashers <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> So, of course, you're the uh, producer-director of In Search of Darkness, um, which we loved. We have a copy of it. Like, it's on Shudder right now, right? It's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I see people always talking about it that have never seen it before. And then you go ahead and say, you know what? That wasn't enough. We got to do a sequel to this called In Search of Darkness 2. Tell me about how this came about and why. Why would you take on such a huge project once again? Well, I was, you know, it was a nice thing that people were telling me that the first one wasn't enough. Uh, I thought it was more than enough. Four and a half hours is, is definitely a long sit. Uh, <laughs> when you're surveying a decade, decade, it's uh, it's only scratches the surface. There's yeah. just so much. There were hundreds and hundreds of amazing movies that came out in the 80s. Uh, horror movies in that genre, just from around the, the globe. But um, 
you know, after four and a half hours, the greatest reviews that I could get from people were this flew by and I could watch another four and a half hours. And I thought, hmm, another four and a half hours. That gives me an idea. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and we just had so much amazing material that, that didn't even make the cut of the first one, lim literally for the, the time limit that we had. And uh, I, I had done close to 50 interviews where each interview was an hour or two hours or sometimes more. Yeah. So there's uh, just, uh, just a, an embarrassment of riches of great anecdotes, great stories, great thought processes, great insights. And we thought, how are we going to do another film and we want to get a lot of the people that we couldn't get the first time around. And that was kind of the MO for this one. It was like, uh, one, uh, the focus for the first film was North American centric and I wanted to get more of a world view. Uh, two, I wanted to go into a little more of the deep cuts that were, we didn't get into because there's so much material out there. Three, we wanted to get a brand new faces and that's something that we did. And uh, four, uh, I just like to count. <laughs> <laughs> that's very it's, cool it's not a horror or anything from the 80s unless you have a sequel so it's, <laughs> yeah, it's you got to have a sequel <laughs> to make it an artificial 80s doc so that's yeah, awesome at what, at what point can we start calling this a franchise <laughs> well people were already calling it sort of the they were calling it the in search of trilogy uh, with last action hero uh in search of last action heroes darkness and tomorrow it's all in search of right so right. um that's kind of a franchise, maybe. Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. Well, I'd a franchise, sure. That's We're going to name the next one In Search of a New Franchise. <laughs> there you go, Search of a Search of. Well, well they all are. I, I imagine all of that is going to come together into another unbelievable four and a half hour set. <laughs> is it, is it, is it going to be extensive like that? Like another, like a it's four a, hour? Yeah, we, exactly. That's the thing. We're going another four and a half hours. It's going awesome. to be the same format from 1980 to 19. Imagine you watch In Search of Darkness Part 1. You get to the end. You went from 1980 to 1989. All these chapters in between. You're like, that was cool. I loved all these people talking about not only their own projects, but the projects that they loved and the movies they loved and how this whole, you know, it's not just the movies. It's, it's the whole, uh, the whole way we consumed this stuff it's the yeah. it's the movie art it's the vhs experience all that kind of stuff it's the music it's the special effects it's it's you know just a, a, an explosion of great ideas and we thought to ourselves let's you know imagine you watch all that you get to the end and you start again from 1980 to 1989 the bunch of movies in each year chapters in between uh, but this time it's got more of a worldview. There's a chapter on like Italian horror. There's a lot of Italian horror. There's Japanese horror. There's Hong Kong horror. There's Australian horror. There's New Zealand horror. Uh, there's 15 new faces that we got. So we're like, well, last time, well, that was cool. All that Nightmare on Elm Street stuff, but too bad they didn't have Robert Englund. Well, <laughs> Robert Englund is here so with cool. us this time around. You know, wow, like Tom Savini was one of the, one of the absolute great splatter masters of the 1980s where was he well this time around we got tom savini linnea quigley nancy allen um uh, i did 23 new interviews and this is kind of with one hand tied behind my back because we had a three month delay with covid and not being able to go out at all and um we have of, of these 15 new faces we actually had a bunch of others you know i don't want to talk about what we don't have but uh, we, we ran into the challenge of a lot of people who said yes, saying, I just don't want to go out. I'm really sorry. It just now is not the time. And I understand completely. So, you know, and, and, and the shoots themselves were very, you know, they, they were constraining in that 
um, you know, we all masked up, we all I social distanced, you know, uh, we only had one, myself and the cameraman, and that was it. Cameraman had his mask on the whole time, wiping things down, all that kind of stuff like that. Um, a small studio where you don't have a bunch of people there is just us talking. Um, and we were able to accomplish a lot of great stuff and get a lot of great material and a lot of, you know, it's all new movies, it's all new thoughts, it's all new unseen, unheard stories. And uh, I'm pretty proud of what we put together because if you like the first one, this is more of the same, but it's a broader view, it's deeper cuts, and you get a lot of the faces that you hoped would be in the first that are now appearing in the second one. There's so much to do with 80s horror. Like there's so many different ways you can go and so many things. Yeah, that maybe you didn't touch upon the first one, even though it was pretty extensive, the first one. I'm really looking forward to this one a lot. Uh, Robert England, both Larry and I have met him at Comic-Cons, right, or have photos with him. And he's so good with his fans. Like that guy is the best. Like he, I don't know, I don't know how he is for an interview, but he, he must have had some pretty cool stories. He invited me to his home and we sat, um, we sat down on camera for three hours. Wow. And, and I asked him one question. I said, how's your day going? I said, how's the weather? And then he talked for three hours. <laughs> and, then we, and then we ran out of footage. And I'm like, oh, I should have asked him about Nightmare. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, so, he's, he's wonderful. His, his stories are very descriptive. I and mean, he's just, he's a very intelligent man. And uh, I've actually worked with him in the past when I was with Famous Monsters of Filmland. Uh, I, I uh, he came up with Heather Langenkamp and, and other folks for the Silver Screen Fest in Santa Rosa, California. And um, I got to have dinner with him two nights in a row. Prior to that, I actually had, I had, I had interviewed him and Heather Langenkamp in front of the Nightmare on Elm Street house in uh, Hollywood when I was oh, with wow. tonight. Um, so by the time that he sat down for this movie, he was very nice. He's like, you know, I, I, I saw the movie. I really enjoyed it. And it's a hit. I like being in hits, David. <laughs> he's very Hollywood, kind of very Hollywood speak, and uh, and I said that's super cool. But he was he was very he was he was apologetic in a very nice way. He's just like, you know, I know you from the you know, and that's why I wanted to do this, uh, and I really enjoyed the movie, and that's why I wanted to do this and be in part two, and I apologize if you couldn't get to me, you know, because of you know, people representation and that kind of stuff like that, because I'm happy to do this for you. And that really just made me very excited and swarmed our hearts. Yeah. So after spending countless hours making the first one and then, <laughs> and then editing it down to four and a half hours, were there, I mean, obviously there are new stories, but were there things that you thought you knew all about having done it the first time, then to only to find there was like more and more layers that, that you didn't uncover. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Like, I I would think that having done it once, you'd know everything. That would be it. You'd, <laughs> you'd be the ultimate then, expert. When are you talking about me as a filmmaker or yeah. one as a viewer from a second viewing? Is what no, for, you you as a filmmaker and a fan. Uh -huh. um, because I mean, you're I, you're a fan first, right? I Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, here's so, my here's my card. It's it's yeah, my exactly. <laughs> Y'all have one. They're all in our wallet. <laughs> uh, but as a fan, you know, I mean you've you've heard these stories now and now you've gotten like as deep as you think you can get and then all of a sudden you you get deeper <laughs> well the, the for the format that we have when we film this stuff is is ideal for this kind of movie because we have the time uh everyone everyone generously gives us at least an hour of their time and and 
they must be enjoying themselves because they don't like excuse themselves to go to the bathroom and never come back, you know, after <laughs> 45 minutes. Um, and that's why we do end up sitting down for an extended period of time. And but given that time frame, you can talk about all sorts of things. Uh, and obviously they want to cover, you know, some of the stuff that they've done, but they really enjoy talking about things that they love themselves that aren't necessarily anything that they've been involved in. Or even for like going back to Robert England, you know, it's like he, uh, he was in Dead and Buried. He was uh, in Phantom of the Opera. He directed 976 Evil. Um, he had a, a TV career and a movie career, even before he was Freddy Krueger, that he was really proud of, a stage career. Um, and he got to talk about that stuff and that stuff gets to be in the movie. And I think it provides a, a rounder, broader, uh, more three-dimensional view of who Robert England is, as opposed to, you know, in addition to his thoughts on, say, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, where I get to pair him with Robert Russler, who also co-starred with him in Nightmare 2, to talk about not only the making of that movie, but how that movie resonates uh, in a whole different way than they may or may not have intended when that came out, if you guys know anything about Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yes. <laughs> and the connotations and what's on screen and what's implied and what's yeah. inferred. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting, I think. It's, I think. I think learning about the people who you grew up watching is as interesting as hearing the stories about the movie itself. You know, I mean, to find out that some of them hate horror, <laughs> can't watch it, <laughs> I think is just as interesting as knowing what their experiences were like on set. Yeah, Heather, Heather Langenkamp and, and Nick Castle, who played, uh, you know, who's a director, but also played, uh, you know, the first Michael Myers. Yeah. You know, he's the first to say, I don't really like scary movies. I get too scared, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I love hearing that. Because I want to, I want to, you know, that's a, a jump off point to discuss the psychology of horror and fear and why people see these movies or why people choose not to see them, you know, uh, and whether it makes them uncomfortable or is that it's their comfort blanket you know what that all means to them it's it's different for everybody and i think we can connect through these icons of the era just as human beings and their thought process uh, i think it makes it much more of a human conversation and that's what is so fun about this for me before doing this uh second film how much influence did or ideas did you get from other fans who would watch the first one and said hey you got to do this david in the next one did you get a lot of that well, I, I scoured that. the Loop and Larry social media feed saying, well, I really enjoyed this, but where the hell was Shocker? So, you know. um, yeah, very much so. Uh, I, I, I joke, but I'm not joking in that I, I went through everybody's feed. I, I, I looked at all the, all the feedback, positive and negative, of the first one. Um, you know, you got to have a thick skin, but the idea is that, for the most part, people really, if there was... Collectively, if you didn't like it, you didn't like it. But collectively, if there was any disappointment, it was that they, there wasn't Italian horror or world horror in there, or there were just a number of why wasn't the movie that I love so much in there, or why weren't some of the deeper cuts in there that I, I figured they would go to? Why, why such a reliance on franchises when there's so many other things? Yeah. And, um, you know, that was a tightrope walk on the first one uh, because, you know, you want to appeal to fans, you want to appeal to newbies. You want to appeal, you know, when you talk about the franchises, I, there, there's a way of alienating the fans if you only do one from the franchise. They're like, well, there's a whole franchise and you're ignoring that. So damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I, I very meticulously 
uh, put this list together of what was mentioned the most, what people really wanted to see, what they hoped for if there was another four and a half hour saga exploration in this decade. And we also, uh, as, a, as a, a company, with all the people who had watched the first one, we polled them. We said, here's, you know, here's a poll of 10 movies and here's a box to write in the things that aren't on this list of 10. You know, what would you like to see the most in part two? And we listened, and and if it was on that poll, it's in there. So that's really cool. And and it's cool that you could do that. It's cool that we could we could respond to these kind of things because I didn't think they were unrealistic asks. I mean, they, they were something that I wanted as well. Yeah. And like I said, you know, the first the first movie, there was so much to tackle. It was kind of a reluctant choice to keep it as North American films because it's such an unwieldy uh, a decade with so much material. I kind of felt like the the broader the the wider I would cast my net, the more would slip through my fingers, and I needed to keep it a little more concentrated. So uh, I mean, I'm just absolutely pleased that I get an opportunity to do a whole second film and get it within presented to the world after you know sort of a, a COVID hibernation and get it to everyone a calendar year after we delivered the first one. So that's I'm pretty happy. So yeah. how long how long did it how long was it after you finished the first one, you got it out, people had seen it, before you seriously started considering making the second? Like, well, I read the first one. Before you answer that, you've also got a sci-fi doc, right? That's being done. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, like, I gotta that, go. That was announced first, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's this other doc. I'm like, yeah. does David sleep? Is the question <laughs> we were asking, actually, is what we're <laughs> you just You just did the, the equivalent of another stack on the desk just when I finished this work. Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, yeah, we have In Search of Tomorrow coming up, the sci-fi documentary, and uh, I, I was able to strategically get interviews while I was doing In Search of Darkness, two interviews as well. So I actually have a very, and some stuff, you know, there, there's some crossover, but there's a lot of new material. Because I was back in, in, in shooting, you know, a lot of new, new material and interviews, uh, got some really good stuff and so much more to do. Uh, you know, now sidetracking into search of tomorrow. But um, I, I, to answer your question, how long did it take before I started working on In Search of Darkness 2? Well, I read the first review of In Search of Darkness after it premiered at, at the uh, at Beyond Fest in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, they really liked that. Oh, they liked that. And this guy was really angry that there was no shocker. <laughs> he said, where's shocker? And I said, okay. Shocker's the first on the list when I get to this next one. I don't know. Awesome. I keep so on bringing shocker for shock effect. It's kind yeah. of fun. So literally at the premiere, you're starting to piece together part two. You know, and when, I was, when I was, the, the reality of the answer is I'm being, I'm being kind of fun and, and facetious. So, but it's like the, the first delivering this movie, there was so, uh, In Search of Darkness part one, there was so much material that I was just like, if we don't make another crime, it's, it's a crime if we don't use this material for something. If we don't make another movie. Uh, people were asking me, they're like, well, you must have so much stuff. We could use it for podcasts. You know, do you want to license that stuff out? I mean, people were soliciting the, to use that material. Um, and I knew that we were sitting on a lot of gold, you know, we're sort of smog, <laughs> you know, from the Hobbit sitting on this gold mine, we're, we're going to sleep on it for a little bit and then see how we use it. So 
having done the first one and now the second one, were there any movies that came up in discussion that either you had sort of put at the back of your mind or or sort of forgotten about that made you excited to go back and rewatch? Did you do you know what I mean? Like, did you did you think I really need to dive back into this? this series or this it would have to be the italian horror the italian yeah. horror because i i uh my my world growing up in terms of the 80s and and seeing movies on the big screen and going into you know to the video store i never saw an italian movie on the big screen and if i did i didn't know it was italian it was yeah. it was usually the mainstream stuff it just didn't come my way so it would either be sitting there on the shelves at the video store or not. Like if you went to Blockbuster, you, you might have, you know, Suspiria, I'm sure was there, but you know, you didn't see much, you know, you didn't see much of that at all. You'd have to go to the mom and pop store. And if you didn't have, you know, Quentin, Quentin Tarantino behind the, you know, the desk renting your, your videos, you might not have ever known how great this stuff was. So I didn't discover a lot of that until much later. And I also knew that there was a lot that I still had yet to discover. Um, and so, and there's a lot of material. There's a lot of crazy stuff there. And there's a lot of stuff that I sort of sidestepped as well. I mean, I remember uh, like Cannibal Holocaust, you know, that's a movie yeah. that, that I was, this, I, I have been educated to, to now realize that a lot of people value that film as, as a piece of, of history in terms of found footage and, you know, it wasn't real, but it was positioned as being real. And, they, you know, Diodato, the director, was almost, uh, uh, he almost went to jail because <laughs> they yeah, thought he yeah. killed people on camera. Didn't, yeah, didn't you he know? have to, like, produce the crew or the cast? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I mean, it's like, I, it's kind of dark territory. And I, I, that's not something that is, is something that I am, I personally gravitate to, though I've seen, yeah. I've seen pieces of it. But now I was just like, I need to see why. I need to see how this is relevant, why this is important. And to have, you know, if there might still be an aversion to the, the content itself, there has to be a healthy respect as to its place in the story and the overall story. You know, so there are definitely a lot of, a lot of uh, and not every Italian movie is a cannibal found footage horror film. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I definitely went down the rabbit hole of Italian films and, uh, uh, I, w I was tickled in probably the worst way about how they're obsessed with eye trauma and 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 eye gouging and I oh, yeah. the eyes are the window to the soul and they're perfect to poke out as well. <laughs> and the Italian movies are like if you thought thought our effects were insane, they just like pushed it over the edge. And so yeah. it's interesting to just see how that plays. And and lastly, I'll say about that how you watch an Italian film and you could see how much influence it had from American cinema. They do their version, but it's just way warped and way crazier and way over the top. And then America takes notice and says, hey, I want to make stuff like that. And it's this sort of cyclical effect where the likes of Brian De Palma or other filmmakers are, uh, it's a back and forth with, with Argento and Fulci and Bava and Lindsay and people like that to, where we all win at the end because the stuff is just, just bonkers crazy. It, it is absolutely and it, it's interesting that you bring that up because um i don't know about you lou but i i wasn't aware of the italian subgenres either like they mm. just weren't on the or they maybe they were on the show and it wasn't until the revival of grindhouse uh -huh. here we have a group in in london that started up grindhouse theater again uh in the late 90s and it wasn't until that revival and they started showing these sort of gallo movies that 
I kind of went, what is this? And why have I never seen these things? And I was the perfect age when they came out and I missed them. But yeah. there, there is so much out there that you can't possibly have consumed it all at the time. <laughs> I mean, to put, to put a fine point on it, and we can obviously move on from the, the Italian topic, but I, I think one of the things about Italian filmmaking that was off-putting to a lot of people was they were dubbed and they were dubbed badly. Yeah. And so they, you know, even if, even if the, the lurid box art lured you into renting it, once you put it on, you're just like, you know, the mouths and, and the words are not entirely connecting and, and synced and what is going on and it's clearly badly dubbed. And I think a lot of people couldn't quite get past that. Um, but if, if you sort of take that as part of the overall package, there's a, an absolute appeal and nostalgia when you look back at those movies. Absolutely. The uh, I do own Cannibal Holocaust and it's still in its cellophane. I think I've had it for like six years. <laughs> I just can't. It's so I've read so many things about it. I just can't bring myself like you like you said. I can't bring myself to watch it. I I know exactly what you're saying. So it's just sitting on the shelf. Eventually, one day I'll get to it. Yeah. So um, talk about a little bit about like the soundtrack because I think as much as the film is makes horror, I think and Italian's a good example of really cool soundtracks. Do you guys delve into that a little bit in this in this film as well? I know well, you did we the don't, last one. Last last time we had a whole chapter about sound, you know, amazing. soundtracks, the score, the uh, you know, sound design, that kind of stuff like that. Uh, I didn't want to repeat chapters, so we don't have an individual chapter, but we yeah. definitely single out certain. You know, have you ever heard of a movie called Shocker? Shocker's got a great heavy metal soundtrack, yeah. and so like Chris Jericho, the wrestler who's in our movie as well, who's a huge horror nut. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he breaks down the Shocker soundtrack and who's in it and you know, why he loves it and how metal, uh, you know, other, other folks talk about how, uh, especially when you talk about these Italian movies, heavy metal was actually very much ingrained in their soundtracks when they were, uh, you know, uh, with their films. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll get a movie like Demons. We had Geretta, Geretta, who was in Demons playing, uh, you know, Rosemary. She talks about why that was important and, and why people connected with it. Um, so yeah, you have that. I mean, uh, Tangerine Dream did The Keep, you know, with, for Michael yeah. Mann. Um, uh, another film we talk about, you know, Clancy Brown, who's in our film, he talks about why he loves The Keep. Um, it's, it's cool stuff, and, and the music is very important. The music for our film, we brought Weary Pines back to score the film. Neon Retrowave is oh, doing yeah. a separate soundtrack of all the synthwave cool stuff. That's excellent. Uh, but Weary Pines are just amazing. And uh, they created a, 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 a nice handful of brand new tracks to uh, complement the amazing work they did in the first, first round. So if that's, if that's what you mean, that's kind of uh, what we talk about as well, but it's yeah. not in a concentrated chapter. As a, as a young David, looking for movies at the movie store, going to Blockbuster Video or wherever you went. What, was, what appealed to you for horror? What was the kind of thing you would reach out and grab? I, I responded a lot to supernatural horror and uh, zombie films to a certain degree, but I, you know, being a classic monster kid, if it had a monster, I was more interested. Um, if it was a slasher, I was less interested. Uh, I mean, you know, the caveat is that Halloween is one of my, is probably my all-time favorite film uh, of, of, you know, the horror genre. Uh, you know, that and American World from London are probably the top two, you know, next to all the classic universal horror stuff. So you have something like Fright Night comes along and, you know, it's vampires or, you know, Monster Squad, you know, all that kind of stuff like that. Um, it's, that's the stuff that appealed to me, you know, but I, I liked 
I, I was I was the guy who read the back and first I'd check, you know, creatures, TNA, rated <laughs> R. Okay, we're, we're okay, I'll keep reading. <laughs> and then I'd see if I'd recognize any names or, you know, if the concept appealed to me and stuff like that. But uh um I was I was I was half and half when it came to recognition of did I know this already versus I've never heard of this. What is it? You know, and uh, you know, the box art really made such a huge difference. Yeah. But uh I, I was I was definitely uh susceptible to the marketing where if the poster was on the wall or if it was in the staff picks, uh I would yeah. definitely connect with it saying, Hmm, let me let me explore this myself. Yep. Absolutely. Do you, remember, do you remember Larry having, uh, when we were kids, we had, we have a jumble video, which is like a blockbuster. Um, did, I don't know if you had this or not, but we had like, they used to have like a castle in the corner. It was like an old castle and all the horror movies were in this castle. Oh, cool. Which is really cool. So, and, but they had like everything, like, like all the normal ones, but then like gourmet zombie chef from hell would be in there. <laughs> he, he read that because he didn't know what it was and it looked cool. Right. Like the name was cool. I often would just go off the name of it. Like based on that, I don't know about Larry. What what would appeal to you? Well, but. It, it's funny because when you when you talked about reading the back of the box, for 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 the illicit content. I mean, I think we all did that. We were all like, you know, mid teens, and we were all like, "What's this? You're not going to find this in a in a, in a rom com." You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's where it all began for most people. Is like, just this is kind of interesting. What's going on here? And then. Then it branches out. Then you then you look at the box art, <laughs> and then, then that's pretty cool. I could watch this movie, but yeah, I mean, it for me it was it was a big part of it was the box art. It's mm -hmm. like it's like when you go to the uh, to the liquor store and you want to buy a bottle of wine, and you look at the label. Oh, that's a nice label. It must be a good wine. <laughs> it's sort of, it's exactly. sort, of the, sort of the same thing. You look at the box art. But, uh, I can you... pronounce schnapps. I'll, I'll take that. Exactly. What's that about? <laughs> have your tastes in horror changed? Like you're, you're, you started as, you know, being interested in supernatural. Have they, have, have they changed at all? Like if you were to sit down today and, and look for a new horror movie, what sort of content would you be looking for? Uh, it's funny as a, as an adult, I, it's funny. I, I, I can, understand i understand the construction of films really well yeah. but i'm still a wuss when it comes to jump scares and so <laughs> if, you know if, if it's like jump scare central i usually pass on it or like uh i i find um sometimes the the mundane is scarier than anything else like a, a paranormal paranormal activity or something like that where just the fact that it's taken its damn time to get to where it's going and I know where it's going and the anticipation is what's killing you because you're just like, you're getting more and more wound up knowing that nothing's happened yet. So it's really going to go down. Um, that That's the kind of stuff that I don't like as much, you know, and I can sort of smell that coming. But uh, my, my, my appreciation for horror in general has not quite evolved but my appreciation for a lot of the stuff that i kind of dismissed in the past i have a brand new appreciation and, and affection for um especially with the decade of the 80s um i mean there were a lot of films where i was just like oh it's clearly just a rubber mask or oh it's just bad effects or oh it's just a body count and oh they're just trying to capitalize on creating a brand new horror villain so they could have a bunch of sequels and stuff like that but um 
I, I revel a lot more in the craft of, of the filmmaking and the scare and even the casting. And, you know, if there's creativity, I, I, I'm shocked at some of these movies where I thought it's such a low budget piece of crap. That's what I thought. And then I'd go back and I'd revisit it. I'm like, they put a lot of effort in the sets, in the, in the, in the, 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 the camera coverage, <laughs> in the crafting of this story. And I dismissed it because it looked like a rubber monster at the end. There's a lot more going on here. And, and having worked on movies myself where no one sets out to make a bad movie, even if it becomes a bad movie, you really do put your blood, sweat, and tears in it. Uh, I have a, just a different appreciation for the type of entertainment that, that gets put out there. I think, I think that's really important when you're watching horror because I think a lot of horror can get caught up in how cheesy it is and you forget the nuances. Do you know what I mean? You forget the, the lighting effects and how it's, they've really created atmosphere um, because the monster looks kind of rubber. But, mm -hmm. you know, but there's so much more that's happening around it that you, you don't really even pay attention to. I mean, for example, even like, um, like Hellraiser, like the, the, that's, it's not a great example, but like those effects were phenomenal. But even if you look past the characters, Pinhead and all of the Cenobites, and you look at the rooms that they're standing in, like those are decrepit, horrible looking places <laughs> that are, you know, I mean, that they're just, they're not necessarily supposed to stand out but they somebody put a lot of work and a lot of thought. yeah the attention to detail is uh is really listen all they need to do is a little dusting a little mopping and it'll, it'll yeah. look great but yeah. uh well no the, the, there's the that one little detail with for uh my bloody valentine which which i always find amusing in that uh you know they they filmed in this mine and because the the mine company knew they were going to be filming there they cleaned it up and then they got there and they're just like this place is pristine oh no we oh, have no. to dirty yeah. it up because it doesn't look like a, an active mine you know or an abandoned mine so it's kind of that kind of thing yeah. um I, I gravitate a lot more to the uh overall if it has to do with yes the supernatural but just sort of the phantasmagorical the you know the things that are just not based in reality are more interesting to me but i i also want to add that especially after like two years of 80s horror movies i've seen every possible kill you can kill someone with <laughs> <laughs> and so the creativity of the kills is something that i go oh hmm. i might not have liked this movie but touche that was a great kill <laughs> good job very creative do you ever I mean, worry about yourself when you think that yeah i know exactly <laughs> Well, I was going to say that's the that's the age old, you know, what's wrong with people who love horror? They must be mass murderers themselves. But yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's cathartic and it's and it's it's uh, it's not real. You know, we all know that. And uh, uh, there there's a certain uh, em embracing of that material that makes us a lot more engaged in in how different it is from the horrid reality of the same kind of stuff. A lot of people don't can't differentiate the two and say so don't understand. And so, yeah, not to get too serious all about it, but. But it's true. Nope, I'm not a mass murderer. It's too hard to dispose of a body. Haven't you seen Dexter? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even he had to come back to redo it now, apparently. So he's actually, he wasn't quite done. Yeah, but listen, listen, Luminol ruined it for everybody, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the spray where you could see the, if even if you clean the blood, you could see yep. the... <laughs> yeah, it's still there. Uh, well, tell us about your, um, this, this new doc and how people can get involved with this doc. This is pretty cool. 
Yeah, you know, so go to 80shorrordoc.com. We're only offering it between now and Halloween uh, at midnight. And um, it's, it's the movie, but there's a lot more stuff. And it's like a super cool package. And I appreciate you guys asking because it is a limited time. And, and what ultimately happens is people, they, they clue in and they say, well, it's, I'm sure it's going to be available on streaming or I'll get it on iTunes. Da, 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 I'll just wait because that's how these things happen. It actually doesn't work that way. We have no plans after this. This is where we want to sell it now and we create a real great package. So you can get your, your name in the credits uh, with, with all the other folks who are in there. Uh, it comes with three super duper cool posters um, and uh, you know, an enamel pin. It, it comes with the movie where it's either a Blu-ray or a DVD, physical copy, uh, but you also get a digital copy of in search of darkness part two you also get a free in search of darkness part one digital copy and if you missed your chance because you're a completist and you want to have it in your hand also for an extra uh uh add-on you can get the the dvd or the blu-ray for in search of darkness part one as well but on top of all that stuff and the soundtrack and a slip cover and a set of ginsu knives you get <laughs> <laughs> What's really, really cool is that we, we've built this online community on Discord and uh, you get a 12 month pass free to get this, this online community where we're doing watch parties all the time. Uh, I think it's every other week. Uh, we're doing it also with In Search of Tomorrow. So each week there on one side, there's, sorry, one Sunday you've got In Search of Tomorrow, another Sunday you've got In Search of Darkness. This connects you with In Search of Darkness where you get a Q&A with someone from an 80s horror film. Like the first one we did was uh, a watch party of Reanimator and we had Jeffrey Combs come on. That's and awesome. Interact, interact with, the, with the fans in the crowd. And, you know, he just loves the, the fact that everyone is happy to talk with him and he loves sharing nuggets and insight. And uh, it's just super cool. And it's a really welcoming community. And it's a wonderful extension of this thing that we built that's kind of by the fans for the fans. So, you know, you buy this package between now and, and, and uh, Halloween at midnight, you get like nine hours of movie if you put one movie and another movie back to back if you want to sit that whole time or take some breaks. But you also <laughs> get this 12-month community element and, a, and this sort of connective tissue of you know, now more than ever that we're half of us are stuck inside because of COVID. It's really cool to connect with like-minded fans and collectors sharing their collectibles. And, you know, it, it's, it's not a judgmental community. It's a very welcoming community. It's not cynical. It's not condescending. It's just cool and fun. So it's, you just go to 80shorrordoc.com uh, for In Search of Darkness Part 2 and all these cool things that are listed there. And uh, all the all the socials are at eighties horror doc on Twitter on Facebook on Instagram. Yeah, you got you've got to follow you on Twitter and the socials. You must be who does your socials? Do you do it? Because if you do that on top of everything else, you're pretty busy. We yeah. we uh, we have a real concentrated team that does all of the stuff that makes this movie that puts it out that does the social media. We have uh, like thirteen or fourteen people uh, at any given time uh, doing this all ourselves um, and. Uh, you know, it's a great, resourceful, wonderful team. I do my, <laughs> I do my social media on yeah. Tiki, at Twitter, uh, on Tiki Ambassador, and I also have my my own genre pop culture site called itcamefromblog.com, and so that's at itcamefromblog on Twitter and Facebook and uh, Instagram. But yeah, yeah, I could you can interact with me, and I love chit chatting with people and 
just sharing brain nuggets of just pop culture fun. Well, that's, and that's, I think what makes these docs so much more than just documentaries is that it really is bringing a community together. I mean, you've gone beyond just sitting on the couch and watching some, and some people talk about their movie experiences is that you've opened it up because I mean, horror is, I mean, it's a massive genre, but it's still got limited appeal. You know what I mean? Like it's not everybody is going to love of horror and the people who do really like it and really want to talk about it and come together. And, you know, so when, when you offer all of these extras, you've just like opened up a world <laughs> that's just revolving around these, these movies. And it's great. And it's great. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you recognize that because we really are fans. It's not like we're some production company that sees an opportunity, makes a movie, puts it out, you buy it, and then we move on and we, that's it. You know, obviously we're, we're doing more, obviously we're building more around it. And it is a, a fan collective where we really feed off of the feedback and we feed off the interaction. We feed off the love of that, that people are, are just expressing when these movies that meant so much to them are getting the love finally and respect finally sometimes that they've always felt they deserved and they're getting to share it with the masses. Um, it's 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 a it's a different experience than just sort of like the, the consumer supplier demand kind of experience. And yeah, I think with uh, retro too, like with the fact that we love these movies so much, we also love the stories behind these movies because that's we want to see how these were made and what these people thought of them now, and and all their experiences with it. So that's why if you have not watched this documentary, I'm going to do this plea right now. You got to watch the first one and you got to buy the second one. I think most horror fans own most of the the movies that they want to see like i think we're more collectors of 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 uh, the actual physical copies but it's you've got to get this because this is so it's such a cool just overview of 80s horror i just love it like i like i can watch it again and yeah you can see it on shutter but it's, it's not going to shutter forever and but you can own that copy forever so i just did a whole commercial for you right there <laughs> <laughs> well i appreciate it well i well what i really love most about this movie other than that it's just like it's just a parade of of amazing imagery that makes you want to immediately you know watch watch a bit watch in chunks and then go straight to your list i mean yeah. what what's so wonderful now is for now that it's on a whole new audience has discovered it on shutter uh they're all making their halloween lists based on in search of darkness and they're like you know i'd never heard of society before but now everyone's talking about the shunting i gotta figure out what, <laughs> what this is all about you know um I, but just, I, I really I, I, I actually did that exact thing did I had you? never that, with <laughs> that movie. I had, yep, I had never heard of the movie before. I watched the doc, and I was like, "This, I, I need to, to do this." And so I finished the doc and got, got uh, society and had to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I just brought up my list that I have. Like I made of all these movies, like Q and uh, Motel Hell, and all these ones. And these are movies to buy list. I call it. <laughs> so these are movies I just eventually are just kind of looking for. And there's like probably like 40 because as I'm watching the movie, I'm writing these down as I'm watching it. Yeah. So I'm like pausing it and I'm like, like I well, got to see this one and got to see this one. Because as, as many movies you think you saw in the 80s, you guys bring up a ton more that I either maybe barely remember or I never saw. Well, like I just saw The Entity the other day. I've never seen The Entity in my life. And I just saw it for the first time the other day. Well, The Entity is in, is in In Search of Darkness Part 2. Well, it's so. I, see, now I want to see what, what like the the background behind it. Cause it's such a great movie. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't I'm sure you didn't set out to make a shopping list. But, <laughs> but, but I, I feel like that's what you ended up doing. <laughs>
Well, I read, I read a canticle for Leibowitz when I was in high school and, you know, shopping lists are, are, are like uh, uh, sacred parchment for me. That's like a deep cut, uh, you know, side factoid. Look up for cant canticle for Leibowitz and it'll all make sense to you. I'll okay. <laughs> Another but, thing um, for the shopping list. <laughs> but uh, two things, two things that I wanted to mention. One, I think what I really, I personally love about this is that I have so many people talking about other movies and not their own and the ones that they love and that brought them joy. And they really, you know, it, it moved them in one way or another. You know, my mission statement for this movie is, is very much that, that it's all about curation. And uh, uh, there's a whole generation that is discovering this whole decade, but they don't even know where to start. So a movie like this is, is a great sort of, uh, you know, it's sort of a primer for a lot of these movies. And part two, it just goes on deeper cuts and it's it just a broader view, but it's still essentially the same thing. And so it's important to share this stuff and share your love and share why it's important because for, for everyone, it's kind of on an even playing field. You know, all these things are important to us for our own personal reasons. But a lot of people, they don't even know where to start because we talk about how we love them, but it's important to talk about why we love them. And it's important to recognize that that all these movies are on the foundation of movies that came before them. You know, the people who made the movies in the 80s watched movies as a kid in the 50s, and they, they saw the, the classic monsters and the Roger Corman B movies and all the kind of atomic era stuff uh, that they wanted to put pieces of that, if not wholly remake them in the 80s for their own filmmaking. And so I, I think it's important to recognize that there's a lot of movies that came before the 80s and came before today. And it's important to understand why they're important and why they're influential. So can you go over, David, one more time before we go here, uh, the website and everything else we need to know, because we need to order this, This both Larry and I have already, we're already we're, ordered, we, we're, we're ready both, to go. Yeah we, both, yeah, we both placed our orders. We're expecting to see <laughs> our names in the credits. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. And you could put anything you want in the credits. If you want to put Loop and Larry, you could do that. I mean, <laughs> How there's any, cool. anything you want to do yeah, yeah if you want to promote you know promote your show but it's like um uh you go to 80shorrordoc.com uh the clock is definitely ticking because after halloween at midnight uh we all turn into pumpkins and that's that it's not <laughs> going to be available so you got to act now so go to 80shorrordoc.com and uh just remember that you're getting all sorts of cool swag and yeah. this this 12-month community on top of if you put the two movies together like nine hours of 80s horror goodness so it's i think it's a pretty good deal awesome. that's a great deal <laughs> well thank you so much david for joining us once again we're, we're just saying every season you've, you've been on so far of our show so we'll keep it going we'll keep it rolling <laughs> well i love chatting with you guys i always love your your geek enthusiasm and listen anyone anyone who's got the wilhelm in their opening every single time i hear it then then that's geek cred right there <laughs> and one last question when's it when's the release do you hope of this uh, of this movie so the release is, you're going to be able to see it in, uh, you're going to be able to see the digital version of it November 17th, and then it'll be shipped in December. So you should get it, you know, uh, very, very soon. Awesome. Well, thank you so much once again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's always a pleasure. We'll talk right, again. That, that's it for our Halloween uh, geek-tacular. That was, that was about as geek-tacular as you can get right there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, David, and thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you next time on Loop and Larry, Guardians of Geek. Bye-bye. Produced by Matthew C. Loop and Lawrence Simner. A Loop and Larry production. Bueller. 
He likes it. Hey, Mikey. Bueller. Bad news. Fog is getting thicker. And Leon's getting larger. Inconceivable. Brian's right. It's an elf. Wax on. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Oh, Captain. My Captain. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Wax off.